I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Are you glad this morning to be in the house of God? Amen. Well, it's already August, and um, before you know it's going to be fall. We've got some dates I want you to write down on your calendar. Super important, because last year, as you recall, we had the nights of worship out in the backfield. We're, go we're going to do it again. September 5th, September 26th, and October 10th. And the three guest artists, you won't believe it, September 5th is Brandon Lake. We've never had him here. He's, he's, uh, we sing some of his songs, Graves into Gardens. Uh, Phil Wickham on September 26th. And our household favorite, one of them is Katina's. So October 10th, they will be here. Get here early, get here by 6, bring a picnic, bring your lawn chairs, just like we did last year. Invite friends. The best form of advertisement is word of mouth. So tell your friends and let them know that uh, we're going to have nights of worship celebration. And Pastor Bob, I'm sure, will share a tremendous nugget as he always does. Any singles in the house this morning? A few of you. Yes? All right. That's awesome. Well, as Pastor Stephen said, we do have a single table out in the courtyard. And what's amazing about this ministry is that it is a ministry that happens to be single. The emphasis isn't necessarily just being single, but it's a ministry that happens to be single. And uh, these three areas is how we really approach it. It's event-driven, yet Christ-centered. We do a lot of things. I mean, a couple of months ago, we just got back from Hawaii. We had to struggle there a little bit, but we, somebody had to do it. But uh, we, we were there. We do whitewater rafting. We've done Park City. Uh, we do these monumental events, super fun. Number two, we establish community. And what's great about these times that we gather together with potlucks and Bible studies uh, is that they are able to establish community. And as you know, uh, many times as being single, you don't have to be alone, but you have lifelong friends that you actually meet and hang out with and are fun. Number three, we try to get them engaged. Well, let me, let me finish that sentence. We get them engaged in serving, all right? We get them engaged in serving, whether it's helping out with ushers and greeting and parking lots, uh, living nativity, whatever those things are, um, they have an opportunity to serve. So it's been awesome going through uh, this summer with our community groups. Uh, we're going through the uh, book of 1 John, five chapters, and some of you are already concluding uh, this week, but I thought today, since we've gone through, we are going through 1 John, we look at the Gospel of John, and uh, today I've entitled our message this morning, Spread the Love, Spread the Love. So if you need a Bible this morning, raise your hands, and our ushers will provide one for you. If you're here new visiting and you don't have a Bible, write your name in the Bible, make sure you come back every time and bring your Bible, and uh, you're, we're able to spread the love that way as well. So let's pray. Let's bow our hearts in a word of prayer. Commit our time to the Lord, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning because you are already in our midst. Lord, we pray that your word would challenge us, convict us, Lord, encourage us, and transform lives today. 
Lord, you tell us in scripture, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Lord, may you bless our time now in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the book of John, as you know, is the apostle of love. And because he personifies love, he writes this love story. Uh, And when we consider what happened when Peter was called into ministry, when Jesus called Peter, Peter was fishing. He was casting his nets. He became one of the greatest evangelists. And in fact, the very first time he spoke, 3,000 people got saved, and that's found in Acts 2.41. When John was called by Jesus, he was mending nets. His ministry would be one of reconciliation and restoration and knitting people's hearts together in love. For the thousands who came to hear Jesus or to see him perform the miracles, lepers were healed and blind to have their sight back and even raised from the dead. Several hundreds would come and listen to him teach, but only 70 followed him. Okay, 70 followed him, and that's found in Luke 10.1. Out of those 70 who followed Christ, only 12 left everything, dropped everything that they had, and followed Jesus, committed their lives to following Jesus. Out of those 12, only three went with him to the Mount of Transfiguration and to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And out of those three, there was only one, only one who followed him to the cross, and it was John. John would follow him to the cross, and at the time, what John lacked in love, he made up for loyalty. Perhaps that was a moment at that cross, at the foot of the cross, where he realized how much Jesus loved him. In fact, Jesus entrusted his own mother to John. And he writes this, which is one of the most profound things in this book, in chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you might have life through his name. We also look back at John 13, 35. It says, by your love shall all men know you are my disciples. So now we come to the epilogue of John, chapter 21. And I'm just going to go ahead and jump in. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. I'll just go ahead and read it. It says this, after these things, Jesus called himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, so they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, 
for he had removed it and plunged it into the sea. Oh, or plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as, then as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and looked, and Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus shows himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Circle back with me in, on the verse, first verse and examine this a little bit closer. He says, after these things. Now, you can't just continue going past that without understanding what, is, what are these things. Now, we know that it was Palm Sunday. They were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory in the highest. After that, there was the Last Supper, then the betrayal, then the agonizing time in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was arrested. He was mocked, scorned, beaten, belittled, and executed as a common criminal. The people were certainly disappointed because he hadn't met their expectations. They were discontent, and that discontentment fueled their discouragement. So they became, they became disengaged. Jesus didn't fit their narrative as their Messiah. Then Good Friday came. He was tortured, then crucified, and finally resurrected from the dead. Then Easter Sunday came, hallelujah, amen? That's the reason why we're here this morning, Easter Sunday. Then he appears to Mary Magdalene, and then to, to the disciples twice, one time without Thomas and the other time with Thomas. Back to verse 1, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is Sea of Galilee. Then in this way he showed himself. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Tom, uh, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel. Uh, Canaan Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others uh, of the disciples were together. So seven total were there, okay? Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. I believe this is another huge and profound statement in this entire chapter because who you're with, you tend to influence the most, Okay? Think about this for a moment. Who has had or has currently the greatest impact and influence on your life? Is it your parents? Is it your boss? Is it a teacher? Is it a coach? Is it a pastor? I remember as a teenager growing up, I had some pretty profound people in my life, including my parents. Uh, my dad, who I remember waking up every morning at 4.30, going by the kitchen table and praying and reading God's word. He set that tone. He set the example for us, four boys, to be able to be faithful and had a certain uh, fervency for the Lord. My mom, she was always um, there for us with unconditional love. She was full of joy and laughter, and uh, that laughter was contagious. It exuded our whole household. My brother, he taught me how to throw the baseball. Uh, he was athletic. He was musical. He loved God. He was a youth pastor. Uh, 
another uh, pastor that I uh, grew up with, his name is Ruben, uh, super athletic. He played uh, semi-pro baseball for the Dodgers, uh, was a pastor, loved the Lord, very articulate, but really humble in knowing how to connect with people. In fact, one of the things he always emphasized was Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. I think of all the people in my life growing up, whether they influenced me in athletics, music, my faith, and ministry, the Lord was showing me how people impact our lives. And I believe these people that I just listed uh, helped shape me and mold me to who I am today. And today, as you think about the people that you have in your life and understand that even you yourself uh, have been given a platform to proclaim who God is, to spread the love. I'm sure you've been following the Olympics, and one of uh, the gals, her name is Sydney McLaughlin, um, she's won the gold medal, and she set the world record in the 400-meter hurdles. And she gives all the glory to God. And I'd like to quote her in the platform that God has given her. This is what she says. Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. And I no longer run for self-recognition. But to reflect his perfect will that is already in stone. I don't deserve anything. But by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. What we say matters but what we do matters more. In fact, one of the things that I always try to encourage parents, especially younger parents, is kids doubt what you say, believe what you do. So make sure you live our, we live our lives as parents, as leaders, as an example to who Christ is. We should consistently have three people in our lives. We should have a Paul. We should have a Barnabas. We should have a Timothy. We should have a Paul because we need somebody that we're accountable to, somebody who can encourage us, somebody who can pour into us, somebody that can invest in us and hold our feet to the fire and say the difficult things when they need to be said. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. To be able to have somebody like that is powerful. To have a Barnabas, somebody in our life that is our peer, somebody who's walking and come alongside of us, who's in the same season as us, to be able to, for us to bounce things off of because they're going through the same similar things. To have a Timothy, for now we have the opportunity to invest in their lives, to be able to pour into their lives, to be able to uh, have an accountability partner for them and with them. So think about the the, the assets that you have. Is it, is it your knowledge? Is it your experience? Is it your skill set? The number one asset we have as parents, as friends, as employers, as coaches, the number one asset is influence. It's influence. We persuade those who are closest to us. We persuade those who are closest to us, those who are in our boat, per se, those who are in our family, those who are in our sphere of influence. So verse 3, it says this, they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And when the morning had now come, Jesus was standing on the shore. The disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. They didn't recognize it was him. Maybe it was the morning fog, maybe it was because they were so far away. But I would say this, that's a very dangerous place to be when we find ourselves not recognizing Jesus. You know, these guys spent a good part of three years with Jesus, and you would think they would recognize his voice, or they would 
really see his gait, how he walked, his mannerism, and recognize who he was. So how long does it take for us to be out of fellowship that we don't recognize who he is or what he's saying to us at a given moment, that we can distinguish his voice? Maybe you've moved out of range. Maybe you've moved out of service or reception. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? We have to be in the right position and in the right posture to be able to hear Jesus and to see him more clearly. Maybe the disciples were preoccupied with their disappointment and their expectation to where Jesus should be with them, and he was no longer with them. They were distraught, and they were distracted with so many things concerning the world, maybe. Maybe for us, it's our work, our health, our finances. Maybe it's tuition, plans for the weekend, vacations, whatever it is. Sometimes we're not in the right position or posture to recognize it's the Lord. I know for me in ministry, sometimes I can get preoccupied in doing the things of ministry, the work that we fail to recognize. I fail to recognize him speaking directly to me at that given moment. I remember six months ago on February 11th on a Thursday, uh, I was actually preparing for um, a pretty large memorial service. Had a full day, full clip, and trying to return emails and phone calls, but I had a couple other appointments. And our office manager, Gina, said, Pastor Willie, I need you to come up and speak to somebody. Somebody just walked in. And I'm thinking, okay, there's got to be some other pastors here. No, I need you to come up and talk to this guy. So I came up, and um, it was a gentleman from the County of San Diego Services COVID code enforcement supervisor. He was paying us a visit, a random visit, because he wanted to make sure, as he was doing with various businesses and organizations and individuals, that we were in compliance with the CDC code and all the new mandates that change daily. And so he came up to the front, and um, I introduced myself, and I said, I'm sorry, can I see a badge? You know, I was playing, I was switching it up. So he showed me his badge. I took a picture. And uh, I began to show him around the campus. Uh, so everybody was in compliance with masks, um, washing hand stations, social distancing, and everything else. But he made it clear that he was able to flex his muscles because he was actually uh, writing citations for $1,000 to any individual or any organization that was not in compliance. So knowing that these mandates and regulations change daily, I began to record our conversation. And as, I, as we talked and I asked him some questions, it was quite clear that he had gone through some things in his life. And I asked him, I said, so-and-so, um, I'm sure you've seen a lot of deaths and difficulties during this past year. He said, I have. He was a retired uh, police officer in the Chicago police and for nine years. He says, I've never seen anything like it. I said, how do you reconcile that? How do you make sense of that? He says, I can't. I don't know. I said, what do you think happens to us when we die? I asked him, what, is, what does your eternity look like? And he didn't have an answer for me. 
And I began to realize that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, providing this big sign. I wanted to initially quickly disarm him, get him on his way, get him out of here because I didn't want to get us uh, a $1,000 citation. But the Lord was speaking to me, share the gospel with him, spread the love. And the whole time I'm just like, how do I, how do, I do that with this guy? You know, he's, he's here for an agenda. But as I did that, and I shared the gospel with him, and I posed that question. Would you like to know, without a shadow of a doubt, where you will be for all of eternity? And how we can change that, how the Lord Jesus can change that for you. Would you like to accept Christ as your personal savior? He says, yes, I would. It was such an incredible opportunity, a huge sign, where God was showing me, man, don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss hearing my voice speaking to you because you've got your own personal agenda what your day should look like. He was definitely hurting and he was in pain, but he wasn't showing it. C.S. Lewis has this quote. It says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts to us in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes the Lord send us, sends us a large billboard, literally. About a month ago, I met William. I don't know if he's here this morning, but uh, I met William, and um, great guy. He came in and asked how he could be involved in serving and be part of this church. And so now he's part of our production team and the singles ministry as well. But last weekend, he said, hey, do you mind praying for me? I'm going through some difficult times. I said, absolutely. He shared with me some things that he was going through with a difficult death. And um, he says, one of the things that's really brought me through this time was this sign on Del Dias. I don't know if you've seen it. It says, trust in the Lord. How many of you have seen that sign? Many of you have seen that sign. Trust in the Lord. And he said, you know, that sign kept the Lord was just speaking to me speaking to me, and over and over again. So last Wednesday night, I had the opportunity. Yeah, that's uh, Dr. Pratt and Gunny, his wife, who actually put that sign up on their property on Del Dias. Last Wednesday night, I was asked to share uh, at my parents' church um, a Bible study. I invited William to share a little bit about his testimony about the sign. Unbeknownst to him, I also invited Dr. Pratt, who he's never met, and Dr. Pratt has never met William, and so after he shared, I had the privilege of and the joy of introducing him to Dr. Pratt. And because of Dr. Pratt and Gunny's obedience to the Lord with the sign, the Lord used it in a powerful way. It's not every day that you, we have the opportunity to see what God's doing on this side of eternity and the little things or the big things that we've been obedient to. Data shows that over 50,000 impressions or cars go through Del Dias, uh, 50,000 a week. So you can see how the Lord was showing Dr. Pratt and his wife how to spread the love and the, the fruit of that. And if you know Dr. Pratt, uh, he would tell you it's not his prolific ophthalmology practice that fuels him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's found his identity in Christ. Verse 5 says, do you have any food? Or how's the fishing going? And the answer to him, no, we haven't caught anything. Then verse 6, he says this, cast your net on the other side of the boat. 
He gives them a command, not a suggestion. And I don't know about you, but from their perspective, them not recognizing who Jesus is or was, and him not toiling all night, fishing with them, and him, they don't understand he's, if he's a fisher, fisherman or not. He says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And so typically fishermen know that you, you, at night you, you fish closer to shore, not in the middle of the day, not in the middle of the lake, but they cast their net in the middle of the lake on that same day as Jesus tells them to do so. And so it says that as they cast the night, uh, the, their, their net on that side of the lake, they were, not be, they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. The lesson for us in the uncaught fish, I guess, per se, is don't let past failures determine how to move forward in obedience. Or don't let fear or failure hinder you in what God's called us to do with his plans. Consider this. You've been toiling all night. You've been working on a project or a business strategy. And your efforts seem to fall short. Or maybe you have a coworker that you've been witnessing to and you've just been shut down. Success for the disciples was only four or five feet away on the right side of the boat. And something as simple as that, uh, the Lord blessed. Whether you're a parent or you're, whether you're a teacher this morning or a coach or you're ministering, sometimes Jesus gives us instructions that simply just doesn't make sense. But we have to be obedient to trust in him because we, as we trust in the Lord with all our heart, we don't lean our, on our own understanding, but we would acknowledge him, right? And as these guys do so, they're blessed. Verse 6, it says this. So they cast the net on the right side of the boat, and they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. It's crazy to think many times that when we pray for God's provision, whether it's healing, uh, whether um, you know, it's a medical issue, whether it's um, even praying for... Uh, a, a parking space, right? Um, and the Lord hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. We're the first one to be surprised, like, wow, this really happened. Yeah, of course it happened because you prayed and you believed and God, you know, blessed you. The night was not, um, the night of failure was not uh, a life without lesson or benefits uh, to learn because uh, sometimes things can be worse off when we do succeed in these opportunities, and I'll tell you what I mean. We can succeed and be proud of our own success and take all the credit. We can succeed and pay tribute to that brand new boat, that brand new fishing boat, and say, wow, it was because of the boat. We can succeed and attribute it to this, the strength of our nets. Or worse off, we can be proud of our abilities to perform over the one who gives us the skills to perform the task. Verse 7 says this, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And I find this super intriguing because his identity, John's identity, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is not about himself. He doesn't say, I'm the one who loves Jesus, but it's Jesus who loves me. I am the one that Jesus loves. Jesus entrusts John to the care of his mother. Jesus gave John the vision of transfiguration. He allowed Jesus... He allowed John to witness all the miracles and later gave John the book of Revelation to write. Verse 9, And as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. 
Jesus had already prepared for them warmth and food and comfort and nourishment. This was a great invitation to eat and fellowship and break bread and, once again, to spread love. He taught them that he can supply their every need and give them the opportunity to follow him and utilize their skills in fishing, the fisher for fish for men. This breakfast was really the beginning of the Great Commission. Verse 10 and 11, Jesus gives them a second command. Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net up on the land of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net did not break. It's interesting to note back in verse 6, it says now they were not able to draw in, in because of the multitude of fish, right? But in verse 11, it says this, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, large, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Did you catch that? Simon Peter, after he recognizes Jesus, he knows, he hears his voice, Peter single-handedly carried the 153 fish by himself. And what the disciples couldn't do collectively, Peter does. Here's the point. When God gives you a command, he gives you the strength to do it. Amen? Let me say that again. When God gives you a command, he gives us the strength to do it. And again, Peter was just simply obedient. Think of a time in your life where the Holy Spirit prompted you to do something that seemed ridiculous or impossible or insurmountable. And how do we respond? Did we complain or did we simply give up? What are the areas in our walk or in our ministry that we've doubted the Lord in being able to do what he's asked us to do. In fact, Ephesians uh, 3, verse 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So why do you suppose they counted the 153? They could have, John could have just written, well, that was a boatload of fish. I'll leave it at that. I, but why the 153? Here's, here's, here's some truths to that. In the ancient Hebrew language, every letter and, uh, and every letter with it corresponds to a number, and so the numbers could be translated just like letters. And according to the Hebrew, the number 153 in alphanumeric code translates into, I am the Lord. It was Jesus subtly speaking to them, he is the Lord. I am God. And maybe in addition to that, the 153, you know, because fishermen, they have to count for every fish so they get paid for it. Maybe the 153 is simply saying, count every blessing. When was the last time other than you sat down for a meal or even Thanksgiving, you actually sat down and wrote out and accounted for every blessing that you had in your life. Try it sometime. It's a beautiful exercise. It takes your eyes off yourself and focus on him. To give thanks for his provision, to give thanks for his protection, his peace, food, shelter, running water, refrigeration, cars, transportation. I know what you're thinking. Gasoline is about $5 a gallon these days. And what we do is we go 10 miles out of our way to Costco and wait 15 to 20 minutes in line with our AC on because it's hot to save 15 or 20 cents a gallon. 
In addition to that, we go into Costco and spend $300 on bulky items we don't need. <laughs> we truly are blessed beyond measure, beyond what we think that we need. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, in everything or some things, does it say in some things? No, it's in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. I'm sorry, that's 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. He says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And, and then he says, in some, it says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Psalm 103, 2 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Verse 12 is the third command, which is really an invitation. It says, come and eat breakfast. And what, think about this. Why do you suppose Jesus... Ask for the fish when the fish was already on the fire. Jesus didn't need the resources for this meal, but he showed that he can perform a miracle and he could feed them with one fish and bread of cake. And Jesus, in this moment, he desires to combine their efforts with his, with his resources for their benefit and for his glory. Let me say that again. Jesus desires, desires to combine our efforts with his resource for our benefit and his glory. This is where ministry happens. He takes the offering of our lives when sometimes things don't seem like they make sense. And he creates a miracle, and then he strengthens our faith. Jesus provides his presence for these guys in the midst of their difficulties and their trials. See, peace is not necessarily the absence of turmoil, but it's in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can be anywhere, any going through anything, any circumstance, but if you're in his presence, he can provide you this, with this incredible peace. In his experience, uh, in this experience, you not only uh, experience his, his peace, but uh, his joy. It says in Psalm 1611, it says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. The last supper might, might have been the last supper, but it was not the last meal. His final meal was before the ascension at this breakfast. See, breakfast is the most simplest of meals. No pretense, nothing super fancy. It was just a group of guys getting together in the most intimate way. You wake up normally in the morning with those ordinary, those that you love, and you're having breakfast together. For us, it's either a bowl of honey bunches of oats, and just pretty simple, but you're, you're talking and you're acknowledging God. Verse 14, this is the third time Jesus shows himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? What a loaded question. I would say to us, Jesus asked us, do you love me more than these? What is these? What do these represent? Is it the 153 fish? What is it that takes priority over our love? for Jesus. Jesus explains to Peter and the disciples, John and the disciples, that life's going to get hard. It's going to become turbulent. In fact, in Mark's gospel, as, as Jesus is talking about these difficulties, P Peter says, not I, master. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fall away. Even if, I fall, even if I'll fall away, I will not. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. However, we know that Peter did. He did exactly what he said he wasn't going to do because he denied Jesus three times just as it was predict predicted. Their relationship was severed and separated by sin. Jesus asked Peter a simple question. Simon Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me 
more than these. Again, what is it you fill in the blank that you love more than these? Do you love Jesus more than these? And he responds, yes, Master, you know I love you. And he responds to him three times because Jesus asked him three times. But he answers in the Greek word phileo, phileo love, where we get the brotherly love, Philadelphia. That's a camaraderie. I love you, man. You know I love you. I love you, Jesus. Yeah, we're good. I love you. But Jesus was not looking for that because Jesus saw him through his eyes, through the lens, this agape lens, which is the unconditional love that expects nothing in return. Because agape love is a choice. Even though people aren't always the most lovable, I'm not always the most lovable, Jesus makes a choice to love anyways. This agape love requires us to love, to choose to love. And maybe today you're here and you've experienced hurt and pain and betrayal. The unfaithfulness and the deception has destroyed your marriage. Maybe it's a broken relationship with a business partner or maybe it's a difficult relative or maybe perhaps a fragmented friendship that's been strained by a simple misunderstanding. You've been disappointed, you've been devastated and deeply wounded. This is how Jesus responds. He responds with his unconditional love. He came and gave his life and it was a tremendous cost and sacrifice. His love and his kindness sets the perfect example for us so we too can spread the love unconditionally. You see in Romans 2 it says, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I like this definition of kindness. It says this, that lending somebody your strength without reminding them of their weakness. Let me say that again. Lending somebody your strength without reminding them of their weakness. And that's what Jesus does. He, he takes our sin and separates it from the east to the west. By grace, Jesus restores Peter. And even though there were difficulties and trials, the Lord lends us his strength when we are weak. John 16 talks about the past, the present, and the future. He says, these things I've spoken unto you. I've already shared with you these things. These things I've spoken unto you, that in me, today, you might have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You can't lose. In fact, one of my favorite quotes from Jim Elliott says this, he is no fool to give up what he cannot lose, to only gain, I'm sorry, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, only to lose what he can't, only to gain what he cannot lose. It's a win-win situation. He provides for us his presence and we can find perfect peace in the midst of any trial or chaos. His generous grace, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've gone through, he provides for us this opportunity of reconciliation. And we all know this verse. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved. You, you, can, you can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. See, so it costs Jesus everything. We know that John 14, 6 says, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus today is either a liar, a lunatic, a legend, or he's your Lord. He's either a liar, somebody who doesn't tell the truth, but we do, we do know on, on all these accounts, these eyewitness accounts, that all these things are true. He's not crazy. He's not just some legend, a good man just happened to live doing good deeds. But he's the Lord. He died for you and I. Today, I don't want you to have this opportunity missed. And I would ask, simply ask you, who is Jesus to you? He's either a liar, lunatic, legend, or Lord. And I would simply ask now, as we don't want to miss this opportunity, for those who want to make their Lord as their Savior, to simply bow our hearts together right now and simply pray this, pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I confess that I need you. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died and rose again. And I believe that you are the Son of God. I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the men come and prepare, as we partake in communion, the elements that represent the body of Christ, the blood that was poured out on our behalf, his, this juice, we want to take this time now to reflect in our time of worship.